You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Well, good morning. Well, I'm glad you're here. If you are a kindergarten or first grader, you are welcome to head to Bible studies with the Whaley family. So kindergartner, K4, K5, first grade, you are all welcome to head to studies. God's word. Excellent. And for the rest of us, let me invite you to turn to the book of Jude. So Jude 17 through 23 is where we're going to be this morning. And um, as you turn there, let me just remind our members, as Pastor Jimmy mentioned earlier, we do have a, a really important members meeting tonight at five o'clock. Again, if you're a member, we strongly encourage you to, to prioritize your attendance. Um, if you're not a member, you're welcome to come and, and see what all the, the action is about. But we've got an exciting night as we welcome in 16 new members into our church family. Um, we'll praise the Lord for that. And, um, and not only that, but we've got some exciting things to share about this next year in terms of uh, our goals and some things we want to see the Lord do um, in terms of our budget for next year and just how abundantly the Lord continues to provide for us in terms of this church. And as uh, Jimmy also mentioned, and if you remember, you saw this in an email this week, the elders will also be making a land proposal and kind of sharing a possibility of where God might cause us to really root ourselves in this community. And so it's going to be a really exciting night. And so come and join us this evening. Um, but today, right now, this morning, we want to focus our hearts and minds on the Lord and all that he has done for us in the gospel. And as we do that, let's turn to Jude 17 through 23. So let me read this text for us. I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get started this morning. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirits. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, you are so wondrously good. Father, as we have worshiped and praised you already, Father, you are a God who is wonderful, who is worthy of all of our praise, all of our love, all of our affections. And Lord, you are a God who is there for us in every high and low in life. Lord, you sustain us and you keep us and you protect us as your people who have been saved and redeemed and washed clean by the blood of Jesus. So, Father, I pray that this morning as your word is preached, Father, that your word would do its work. Lord, that you, O Spirit, would come and give us ears to hear the text before us. Lord, that you would help us to see the goodness of the gospel. 
Lord, our need for Christ. And Lord, that through your preached word that you would sustain us in our faith. And Lord, for those who have no faith, Father, I pray today would be a day of salvation for them in which they would see their need, their sin. And Lord, that they would come and fall at the feet of Jesus and confess him as God and King and Savior. So Father, we pray that you would be honored and glorified this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the scriptures often speak of, of two paths that everyone must choose. The, the proverbial fork in the road, if you will. So, so Psalm 1 does this. Think about the very first psalm in the Psalter, this wisdom psalm that kind of sums up and outlines the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Two paths, two ways. Similarly, Jesus also uses that, that same sort of metaphor, that image of, of two paths. So he'll, he preached on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus says there's a, a narrow gate and a broad gate, two paths, two ways. So, so Psalm 1 and Jesus would, would talk about these two paths. And, and one is the path of, of wisdom, of righteousness, of faith. And the other path is the path of foolishness, of wickedness, of unbelief. So these distinctions are between a believer and an unbeliever, aren't they? These two paths. And so as we move forward towards Jude's conclusion of this letter, as we've talked about it this fall, we see that Jude also presents two paths, one of condemnation, one of salvation. But Jude applies this dichotomy specifically to the church. Or to use another illustration from Jesus, Jude is really referencing here the wheat and the tares to be found within God within the church. So Jude presents us with the way of the scoffer, and then he shares with us the way of the beloved, the path of those who fall away from Christ, who were never really converted, never really knew Jesus, but had superficially attached themselves to the church. He, he presents the way of the scoffer, and then he presents us the path of those who persevere, the beloved who continue in faith until their deaths or until Jesus comes again. So Jude is wishing to warn the faithful, those who cling to the faith once for all delivered to the safety. He's trying to warn them of the destructive path of these false teachers. So what he's been doing throughout this whole, this whole letter. He's helping us recognize false teachers, and he's been helping us understand these false teachers are condemned by the prophetic word. And so as Jude is warning them, now he's turning to the, to the church and he's warning them of the, the destructiveness of that path and he's admonishing the church to, to keep themselves in the love of God, to continue in the faith, to persevere in this faith, even as Jude recognizes and knows, as he concludes in this last few verses, this doxology that we'll talk about next week, even as he knows that it is ultimately the Lord who will keep them from stumbling. So the questions that this passage brings up is heart-wrenching in a lot of ways, isn't it? Because how 
How do we process what seems to be happening every day? People we know, people we don't know, major figures. How, how do we handle it when a professed believer seemingly drops out of the faith? Or when they reject the God that they once professed to love? How do we think through that? How do we handle that? How do we have categories of thinking through what's going on with those people? So these questions are hard, I think, because they're so personal, aren't they? If you're like me, I've got faces attached to the names of those questions. People in my ministry, people in my family that I think through and wrestle over these issues with. So we know that salvation is a gift of God and that true faith, Saving faith is a permanent faith, a lasting faith, as God empowers us by that same grace to help us to persevere till the end. As we sing here quite frequently at Redemption Church, Christ will hold us fast. We believe it, we know it, we, we celebrate it, we praise God for it, but yet Jude here in this passage is, is warning and admonishing us as he presents these two ways, the way of the scoffer, in the way of the beloved. So here's the, the sermon summary, if you want to write this down. As God empowers us to persevere in Christ, we must reject the way of the scoffers and take up the way of the beloved. So as God empowers us to persevere in Christ, that's something we, we always have to remember. God is empowering us. God is enabling us. He is working in us to sustain us. And while we trust in God's power to help us persevere, we must reject the way of the scoffers, those foolish people who reject the faith once for all delivered. And we must take up this path of the beloved that Jude marks out for us here in this text. So we're going to look at those two categories, the way of the scoffer and the, the way of the beloved. So let's look firstly this morning at the way of the scoffers. And we see this particularly in verse 17 through 19. So this way of the scoffer, this is the path of the false teachers that Jude's talking about. This is the path of the apostates, of wolves who infiltrate the church. This is who Jude has in mind as he's writing these words in verse 17 and through verse 19. And as Jude talks about these scoffers, again, his targets, you've been following us through this series. If you've been walking us verse by verse through this book, we know that, that Jude has in mind, particularly these false teachers that have infiltrated this, this congregation and who are confusing the people and who are leading the people away from the faith once for all delivered to the saints. They are perverters of grace, ungodly people who indulge their sensual desires. This is who Jude has in his crosshairs, not only those people, but anyone who would follow in their stead. Jude's concerned, right? He's, he's concerned about this congregation, that there are many within it that are being swept up by this false teaching. And so Jude reminds them of the way of the scoffers. These are those that are inside the church, not outside the church. That's an important distinction Jude is making. As Jude writes these words, he's not thinking about the, the non-Christian heathen out there, right? That's not who he's concerned about. Rather, here he's concerned about those in the church that are being swept away by wolves among the uh, within the church that are leading others to scoff at God. So as we think through the way of the scoffers, one of the first things we see is that the scoffers are predicted. The scoffers are predicted. Jude asked the faithful to remember the prediction of the apostolic warning. 
So, so remember, Judah's writing kind of towards the end of the apostolic age. Some of the apostles remained alive, but they're all getting older. A lot of them are dying, right? A lot of them are being martyred, but yet he reminds them of the warning that the apostles gave for these last times. Now, you might be wondering, what does that phrase mean, these last times, as, as verse 18 talks about? What's going on there? Well, the early church lived with this constant realization, this constant expectation of Jesus's return. They knew that the age in which they were living was the last era, the last epoch of redemptive history before Jesus would come back and make all things new. They knew that they were living in the last times. And and just as the early church lived in the last days, so do we. Every generation of Christians, we live in the cusp of eternity. We live right before the dawn of Christ's consummated kingdom. It is coming. And so there's this certain expectancy of living in these last days. And look at the apostles' warnings. They warn that scoffers would emerge within the church who follow in their ungodly passions. Look at verse 18. They said to you, they being the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, verse 18, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own passions. You see, the apostles warned that they would come. And as Jude recollects this apostolic prediction, he reminds the church that the current challenges of these false teachers that they're dealing with, they ought not to be surprised by it. They ought not to be surprised. Though they're no less dangerous, we must expect false teachers who infiltrate the church. The apostles told us it would happen. So so like Jude's audience, we ought not to be surprised when Christians today have to deal with scoffers within the congregation, that there will be those who will mock God and who will promote ungodliness. Those who reject God's authority, those who fight and combat and argue and who create division in the church. These scoffers will emerge in every generation and they could appear in in every and any church. So we must remember the apostles' prediction and take a defensive posture. We must stand on guard to protect this faith that has been once for all delivered. So we see that the scoffers were predicted, but we also see Jude talk about the scoffers' life. What is the the way in which these scoffers live? How do we recognize these scoffers when they kind of sneak in, creeping in to the congregation? Well, Jude tells us repeatedly throughout this letter, doesn't he, that the life of the scoffers exposes them for who they truly are. That they are those who follow their ungodly passions. Ungodly passions. We have seen in this letter repeatedly, haven't we, that ungodly is one of Jude's favorite words to use when talking about these false teachers. He references it to them all the time. They're ungodly, ungodly. They follow their ungodly passions. Jude also calls them here worldly people in verse 19. That their life and their habits reflect the values and priorities of the world, not the kingdom of God. They think as the world thinks. They act as the world acts. And Jesus tells us that we will recognize these teachers by their fruits. And so Jude is doing something very similar. He's saying, look at their lives. 
Look at them. Look at how they're living. Look at the ungodly manner in which they conduct themselves. And as, as Jude warns, he's reemphasizing the same thing Jesus said. Watch for the fruit. If it's bad fruit, there's a bad root going on. And so watch for ungodliness in a worldly life. That's how we'll recognize these scoffers. And then we see the scoffers' division. The scoffers' division. Jude tells us that these scoffers are divisive in the church. Look at what he says in verse 19, talking about those that these, the, the apostles predicted, these scoffers. He says in verse 19, it is these, these scoffers that have been predicted. It is these who cause division. You see these false teachers, these scoffers, these opponents of God, they, they sneak into the church and then they begin to sow seeds of division. They begin to, to question what is being taught. They spread gossip and rumor and hearsay. They, they rile up others. They incite distrust among the body. And so these scoffers are troublemakers. And the reason they're so dangerous is because they can destroy the church's unity. And they can begin to lead so many people into error error that leads to condemnation. So scoffers endanger the church because they are instruments of the enemy to demolish the community and harmony of the local church. And false teachers can sadly, tragically lead so many people into error. So the scoffers divide. But we also see here in this passage, the scoffers' condemnation. The scoffers' condemnation. Look at what Jude says about these scoffers. It says, it is these, verse 19, who cause divisions, worldly people, look at this next phrase, devoid of the Spirit. Devoid of the Spirit. This is a severe charge, isn't it? A charge that shows the extent of their hypocrisy and deception and condemnation. That Jude tells us that these are people who do not have the Spirit of God, meaning that these people have not been born again. They have not been converted. They are not genuinely Christian. Because if they were, if they had the Spirit of God in them, as every believer has, then the Spirit would convict them of their ungodly ways. They would be humble instead of proud and self-exalting. They would be submissive instead of rebellious. They would be unifying in the body instead of divisive in the body. And so Jude's charge is that these people, these scoffers, they might sound like Christians. They might be coming to church with you. They might even be at the Lord's table with you in the love feast. But, but even still, these are people who don't know Jesus. They're devoid of the Spirit. They've yet to be converted. They've yet to be born again. Look at the fruits of their lives. You see, there can be those within the church who don't truly belong to the church. People can easily fool others, can't they? People can even fool themselves. How many have professed Christ, been welcomed into a church's membership, only to again go on and live ungodly and quarrelsome lives devoid of the Spirit. How great the spiritual deception that people have. As Jude tells us that 
the, the way of the scoffers, he tells us a, a truth that ought to be a warning for all. He tells us that they are not converted. They're not saved. The spirit of God is not in them. They are not sheep among the flock. They are wolves who have infiltrated the flock. They are tares among the wheat. As first John would say, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You see, this is a, a warning that particularly people like us in the Bible Belt really need to hear that not everyone who superficially attaches themselves to a church belongs to Jesus. Jude is helping us understand here the pattern of those who are scoffers of the Lord. And this reality should give us pause. It should cause us to self-examine. It should cause us to make sure that we are doing everything we can within this body to protect one another from this self-deception. You see, it is one of the reasons why at Redemption Church, we, we take membership so seriously and slowly as we do. It is why we emphasize covenant membership so strongly. It's why we're trying to, to foster a community that is honest, authentic, vulnerable, transparent. It's why we're committed to the practice of church discipline, which has fallen so out of fashion today. Because we know that, that our own hearts can be deceived, that we could be scoffers. And so we have to reject this path that Jude is presenting the path of these scoffers, the path of ungodliness, the path of worldliness, the path of division may be far from us. May we reject that path and instead may we take up the way of the beloved. And that leads to the second truth this morning, the way of the beloved, verse 20 through 23. So in verse 20, Jude turns his attention to the beloved. It's, it's calling back our attention to these opening verses in Jude. Right, do you remember them? Look at verse one, where it's next page, right? There's no chapter, so you can find it easy. All right, look at, look at the beginning. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. See, Jude's bringing back a lot of the language of his introduction. He's bringing it into his final admonishment of the church. And so Jude calls them the beloved in God. As those who know Jesus, those who have been saved, those who have faith in Christ, this is fundamental to our identity as believers. That as those who know Christ, Jesus has saved us by his blood, that God has brought us out of condemnation and he has brought us into the, the love of God. You see, fundamental to our identity, to your identity as a Christian, is that you are the one whom God loves. You are God, the one whom God loves. We are the beloved of God. And so verse 20 and verse 21 of the text here make up one sentence. All right, so I got to do a little bit of grammar here. All right, I know that might bring some flashbacks to high school English class, but bear with me, right? This is, this is important. I want you to see what's going on in the text, right? Those, those grammar classes were important when it comes to Bible study. So, so thank your English teacher later on, right? So what's going on here? Look at, look at the subject of this sentence in verse 20. The subject of this sentence is you, the beloved. 
Right? So he's, he's, the subject is, is the beloved, the, the, those whom God loves. The main verb actually isn't found until verse 21. So what's that? Keep, keep, keep yourselves in the love of God. But then, all right, this is where it gets a little complicated, right? And this is where English class comes in. I think most of us got subjects and verbs, right? But next, Jude fills this one sentence with three participles. What are participles? These are these I-N-G words, right? So that, that help us instruct us in how we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. So the admonishment is you, beloved, keep, keep yourselves in the love of God. How? Jude orients it. He, he shows us how with these three participial phrases. And these are the fancy terms for them. They are instrumental participial phrases, meaning that they are telling us how to do this. How do we do what the main verb is telling us to do? How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Jude tells us how. Building, praying, waiting. Building, praying, waiting. This is how we do it. So before we talk about those phrases, we're going to come back to them in just a second. We might first think about that main verb there, right? Keep ourselves in the love of God. What is Jude talking about? What does he mean by this phrase? Well, well, Jude is speaking to Christian perseverance. Christian perseverance. That we might continue in the faith and endure till the end. Because by faith in Jesus, one-time event, right? We put our faith and trust in Christ and we are saved. We are justified before God, and then we are brought into fellowship and communion with God. So if you are a true Christian, if you've been born again, then this is where you are, not one day. This is where you are now. You are in God's love. This is where he has placed you and plopped you up out of the wrath and condemnation you deserve, and he's plopped you now in his grace, in communion with him. And Jude is telling us to stay there. <laughs> Just stay there. God's brought you into his love, so keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't abandon it. Don't try to jump out of it. Stay where God has placed you. And so, so one of the questions you might be thinking with this verb, this idea of keeping ourselves in God's love, is Jude questioning our eternal security as if we could leave God's love or choose to do so if we fail. No, that's not, that's not what Jude's teaching. Not only would that contradict what's taught in the rest of the New Testament, but it would also contradict what Jude says in this very short letter. Let's look at what Jude will say in verse 24. This is next week's passage, so we'll come back to it. This beautiful doxology. Look at what he says in verse 24. Now to him, being God, who is able to keep you from stumbling. So instead, Jude is, is, is admonishing us to continue in Christ even as he knows that it's by God's power alone that any of us are kept. So Judah's trying to help us see that saving faith is not a one-time act, but it's a continual treasuring and clinging to Christ that endures throughout the entirety of your life and on into eternity. That those who become scoffers of God, they never had true faith. They never were in the love of God to begin with. They never clung to Jesus. So Jude is encouraging us here to take up the habits of life in which God empowers us to persevere till the end. You see, God alone does the keeping. 
through our continual clinging to Jesus. So God keeps us in his love as we anchor our hearts in the fellowship of his love. So Jude is showing us the way of the beloved, that if we are in Christ, what are the the habits of grace that God uses in our lives to empower us to perseverance? This is where we get to those participles, right? Let's talk about the first one of those, the beloved build. The beloved build. Here we see the first way we keep ourselves in the love of God. Look at this phrase here building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Building yourselves up in this, in your most holy faith. Or to use a phrase we like to use around here at redemption, we edify the saints. We edify the saints. That's that Thor hammer that's normally on the banners, right? That's that building one another up, right? This is what what, what Jude is talking about here, that we, we edify one another, we build one another, one another up to keep ourselves in the love of God, we must be about helping one another grow. We must be built up in the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. So here's a, a spiritual warning that Jude is giving us, that spiritual stagnation is dangerous. It's dangerous. Complacency. In your walk with the Lord, put your soul at risk. That throughout our Christian lives, there should be a steady curve of growth and maturity and holiness and godliness that defines our lives. That we ought, as believers, to be growing in our knowledge of the word, of sound doctrine, of this holy faith that we possess by God's grace. So the word building here in the original language, it refers to to increasing the potential of something, to focusing on the process involved to make it stronger. So when we first come to Jesus, a lot of us don't know much about anything, right? We We just have this childlike faith. All that we know is I'm a sinner and I need a savior. That's kind of the extent of our biblical wisdom and knowledge, right? And how beautiful it is. That childlike faith is all it takes to save your soul. Trusting in Christ. But again, God doesn't want us sucking on milk when he's offered us the meat of his word to consume and to grow in. So so we want to grow. We we want to grow in our faith. We want our faith to become richer and stronger and deeper and sweeter as we grow and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we keep ourselves in the love of God, Jude says one of the ways we do that is by growing, is by building up this holy faith that we possess. So let me ask you a few questions. How how seriously do you take your spiritual growth? Is it a priority in your life? Or is it something that you kind of put on the back burner and say, all right, well, maybe I'll get to it when I have some time. How's your time in God's word? Are you reading it consistently? Are you studying the scriptures? Are you growing in the wisdom that comes from sound doctrine? Are you growing in theology and your understanding of what the word teaches? Are you prioritizing life in the local church? Do you make weekly worship? What we're doing here, is this a priority on your calendar every week? Do you attend a community group consistently where you can be built up by God's people, even as you're helping others be built up at the same time. 
Do you prioritize relationships with your church family so that you can help one another grow in Christ? You see, those who who keep themselves in the love of God, those who endure to the end by God's grace, they have a a spiritual intensity about them. An intensity that's kind of weird and even a little strange, but they love the Lord and they are zealous about growing in the Lord. So, So they rework their calendars. They change up their daily routines. They get up earlier to spend time with God. They turn off the TV in the evenings to to read a good book, helping them grow in their knowledge of sound doctrine. They get serious about growing in the Lord, not just for themselves, but they're serious about helping other people grow in the Lord as well. And so this is one of the first ways Jude says that we, we endure till the end, that we keep ourselves in God's love, is that we build. We build one another up, build ourselves up in Christian maturity, in this holy faith. Secondly, Jude says, the beloved pray. The beloved pray. See, not only are we to, to grow in our knowledge of this faith, but we must pray, Jude says, in the Holy Spirit. We must pray in the Holy Spirit. That is, those who are brought into God's love By God's grace, we have fellowship with God in our Lord Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit binds our hearts with our wonderful, beautiful God. So we must pray then in the Holy Spirit. As Spirit-filled people, we commune with God. We seek His will. We listen for the direction of the Spirit's call in our lives. It means we have a relationship with our Lord that we seek him, that we love him, that we spend time with him. You see, our secular age has made most of us absolute failures at prayer. See, most of us are just woefully inconsistent in our prayer. We kind of, this is just part of what it means, I think, to live in our generation. The temptations that our age is uniquely faced with is because most of us just go about our business with little awareness of our need and dependency upon God. Not just for our next meal. Most of us aren't even thinking about that, right? We know we're going to eat, let alone our next breath, right? So we live in such an affluent age, an age defined by modernity in such a way that we just don't have a constant sense of need for God. And so therefore we don't pray. We don't pray that though God has brought us by by his incredible mercy, though he has brought us into the love of God where there is Uh, the privilege to enjoy the sweetness of his love and the communion that comes from knowing God, though God has done that for us, though he's brought us in, few of us have taken up the means of prayer by which we actually get to enjoy that. See, few of us pray in the spirit with such intensity, with such yearning that our lives overflow with a constant awareness of God's presence. Through prayer, God reorients our hearts, doesn't he? He reorients them. He reorients our hearts around his kingdom, around his values, around his priorities. And it's through spirit-filled prayers that we develop richer communion and fellowship with God. You see, the Christian faith is no mere intellectual exercise, but it is an experiential one in which we commune and have fellowship with our God. 
while it's easy for us, I think, to feel convicted, as I do, about our pitiful prayer life, we have to see prayer not as a club to beat ourselves up about, but as a wonderful invitation that God offers. That prayer is an invitation from God by His Spirit to fellowship with Him. And as we pray in the Spirit, as we communicate and know and pray to our God, He empowers us through prayer to keep ourselves in the love of God. So, so listen to me. Don't feel bad about your prayer life, right? Yeah, you might feel convicted, but merely feeling bad about it doesn't do anything. Repent, repent, right? Instead of, instead of feeling bad about it, then find ways this week that you can be intentional in prayer, praying in the spirit that you might commune with your God. Go beyond the perfunctory, you know, 30-second prayer before meals or the 20-second prayer at the end of your quiet time. And instead, find a quiet place and pray. Really pray. Pray in response to God's word. Pray in the spirit. Because the beloved pray in the spirit. Thirdly, he says the, the beloved wait. The beloved wait. This is that third participial phrase here, right? waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You see, part of persevering in the Lord, in the faith, is having patience. Patient expectation that Christ will return. <coughs> it means that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, as the beloved of God, that we have this constant realization, like the early church did, that we are living in the last time, that we are on the cusp of eternity, that eternity awaits us. And so the beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ then wait on the Lord. There is a hope. There is an expectation that, that he will return. And when he returns, we will have the hope of our hearts that every day that we must wake up as believers in Jesus, we realize that, hey, today is short and eternity is long. And so I'm living for eternity. I'm not living for today, right? I'm putting my hope in the Lord. I have an eternal focus, an eternal perspective on my life. And everything then is filtered through God's kingdom in eternity that I'm waiting for, that I'm longing for. So as I think about my family, as I think about my work, as I think about the hobbies, the things I do to enjoy my time, all of that is now filtered through the lens of God's glory in Christ Jesus and the hope of his coming kingdom. Right? Do you think that way? Do you wait on the Lord? That sort of expectancy because you know this, life is a, is a roller coaster, isn't it? Lots of highs, lots of lows. The sea of life can be serene at a moment and stormy the next. And it can change at a moment's notice. But yet those who wait on the Lord, hope in Christ's coming through it all. That when life brings blessing and joy, then we consider it but a small foretaste of what's to come when Jesus is returned and he establishes his kingdom. And when life brings me persecution and suffering and pain, then I just simply consider it light and momentary compared to the, the glory that is going to be revealed. 
everything I go through is filtered through the lens of my hope of what I'm waiting for, of eternity, of Christ's coming mercy. You see, when we wait on the Lord, and when we wait on the eternal life that is to come, then we won't be rocked by our circumstances. No matter what life throws at us, our faith will be stable, will be secure, will be safe, because we are waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that will lead to eternal life. It's what we wait for. It's what we hope in. And that leads to a fourth aspect of the beloved I want to draw out for us, the beloved protect. The beloved protect. We see this in verse 22 and verse 23. And Jude gives us one more habit, one more discipline that the, 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 the way of the beloved defines themselves by. That those who keep themselves in the love of God, those who continue and persevere in the Lord Jesus Christ, they protect themselves and others. They protect themselves and others. Here, here we see that perseverance in the Lord Jesus is a community project. It's a community project. Nothing puts your soul at risk like isolation from the community of God. Nothing. We need one another. There are no Lone Ranger Christians, at least not for long. They get gobbled up by the enemy pretty quick. We need one another. We need the accountability and the discipline that is found in the gift. Yes, those things are gifts. In the gift of the local church, you need it. I need it. We all need it because Jude instructs us here to have mercy on those who doubt. Mercy on them. There will be moments in your life when your faith feels frail. You'll, You'll have them. When doubts begin to bombard your heart and soul and temptation comes, you begin asking questions like, well, is God good? Is he good? Does he love me? Can I trust him with my life? You will face those questions at times in your Christian life. And the church, Jude says, must be a safe place for those who have shaky faith. It ought to be a safe place. We have mercy on those who doubt. So if you're doubting this morning, I'm glad you're here. We are happy to come alongside you and to remind you of the goodness of God from his word, to be a community that can come alongside you and speak truth when the enemy whispers lies. See, Jude calls us as believers to be active in our care for one another but not just active. Look at his language here. He's calling us to be aggressive in our protection of one another, isn't he? Look at at what it says in verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. That's pretty aggressive language, isn't it? That when we see one of our brothers, one of our sisters at spiritual risk, we don't just sit idly by waiting for their destruction. Right? When my kids are outside playing in the yard, one of them wants to go run in the street, I just don't Sit there and watch, right? I go and yell their name. Not only that, but then I go and grab them. And then I'll whip them if I have to, right? And you, you want them to understand and protect them, right? This is me being aggressive of snatching them for their good because they need it. And we need it, right? We need, this, we need people in our life who care about you enough to snatch you away from the direction you're going. We intervene. We get involved. 
we rescue those who are perishing. We, we care for one another. As Christians, we have a vested in- interest in the spiritual souls of other people. We protect them, even as they help protect us. So we show mercy. Look at what Jude says. We show mercy with fear. What a fascinating combination. Mercy with fear. So what's Jude saying here? He's saying, well, we stand ready to extend grace to those who are in doubt, those who are caught up in sin. We stand ready to offer forgiveness and love and restoration and grace. But yet Jude says we do so with fear, ready to correct and warn of spiritual danger. You see, the local church has to balance these priorities. We must do them in a way that Jude describes in the way that God's word commands, right? The local church must be a community that that shows grace even while they're correcting, that shows mercy even while they're warning, and that shows forgiveness even while they're disciplining. We must be so committed to each other's holiness that we hate, what Jude says, even the garment stained by the flesh. We must be zealous in our protection of each other. You see, the church is an assurance of salvation co-op. It's an assurance of salvation co-op. We have covenanted together to keep ourselves in the love of God. We're doing this together, right? At Redemption Church, we want to help one another cross the finish line of faith into glory. So at Redemption, this is what we want to do, that we want to help one another follow Jesus and lock arms together as we continue in the faith until Jesus comes back or he calls us home. So at Redemption Church, this is the kind of community we want to be. We want to be the community of the beloved, like James, like, like Judas is describing here, that, that takes active care of one another. So if you're looking for a church this morning that you can just show up and have no one notice you, that you can sneak out, then Redemption Church is not the church for you. (laughs) You can find plenty of churches where you can just be anonymous and come and go as you please. This is not one of those churches. Instead, we want to be a covenant community that commits to building one another up, that commits to praying in the Spirit, that commits to waiting on the Lord together, that's committed to protecting one another from spiritual danger. So if you want to belong to this sort of community, I pray, I pray that you will consider becoming a covenant member of Redemption Church. Tonight, we will vote in 16 members into our covenant community. And as they are doing so, as they've gone through that process of of joining this body, They are putting themselves under the protection of this congregation, even as they are joining us to protect us, right? We're we're committing to one another. And even if you're not a member, I encourage you to come this evening just to see what that sort of community looks like in action. It's a beautiful thing. There's a sweetness in the care that we have for one another as we protect one another in the love of Jesus. So Judah's presented us this morning with, with two ways. The way of the scoffer that abandons Jesus, the way of the beloved 
that keeps themselves in the love of God. And so if you're not a Christian today, I pray that you would turn from your sins, that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ so that you too can be in the love of God. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, again, come find me, find another member here. We'd love to share the gospel with you of how you can know Jesus and have salvation. And we would love for you to to plug in here and get connected and move towards membership here in this body so that we can be committed to watching over your soul with you. And if you are a Christian who doesn't have a church home, I might've scared you away just a second ago, but I pray that the Lord might lead you here because this is what you need. This is what I need, right? That you might join us as we keep ourselves in the love of God together. And if you are a member of Redemption Church, or if you will be one after this evening, I pray that you will walk faithfully in the way of the beloved that Jude marks out for us, that you would commit yourself to edifying the saints, to to caring for one another in this community. Yes, even snatching some from the fire, if that's what it takes, as we all together keep ourselves in the love of God. May we find this comfort, this comfort in Christ, this Jesus who is able to keep us from stumbling. So let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for Christ. Lord, that through him, we have been brought out of our condemnation, out of our scoffing ways. And Lord, you have brought us into your love. We are your beloved in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, that we would keep ourselves in your love. Lord, that we would build one another up, that we would pray in the spirit, that we would wait for your coming kingdom, that we would protect one another. And Father, we pray that you, by your sovereign grace, would empower us to sustain and persevere until our deaths or until you come again. Father, for those who don't know Jesus this morning, I pray, Lord, that they would see their sin, see their need. Lord, they might have been, they might be now, one of these scoffers who have superficially attached themselves to the church, but Lord, yet they're not converted. They're devoid of the spirit. Father, I pray that you would help them to see the the dangerous state of their soul and Lord, that they would fall on their knees and see their sin and repent of it and cling to Jesus in true saving faith this morning. But Father, above all, we pray that you would be glorified, that you would be honored. Lord, as you preserve us as your people. Lord, our salvation is by your grace alone. And Lord, our preservation is by your grace alone. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that as we work to keep ourselves in your love, Lord, that you would do the keeping, that you would keep us from stumbling, Lord, knowing that we are kept for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.